Thank you for joining us in our Luke series, the most important story ever told. So it's a new year. And a lot of us, when we enter into a new year, it's time to P.E. And I'm not talking about physical exercise. I'm talking about it is time to prioritize and emphasize what is really important. Last week, I kind of hit uh, the five areas, if you will, looking at the physical, the mental, the spiritual, the emotional, as well as the social aspect of who we are. But it's time for us to kind of consider where we're at in life. What are the rhythms of our life? And uh, here's the challenge. Here's the challenge for all of us. The challenge is really to think. I had a professor years ago when I was in college said, uh, most Christians are very lazy, apathetic style thinkers. Getting people to think is a challenge. Getting people to think critically is a challenge. Getting people to think biblically it's a challenge, and so my encouragement to you as you sit here this morning is that you would, you would desire to think critically, biblically, and that your heart's desire is to align your thoughts to the glory of God, that you would become wise. I, I, a simple prayer to pray would be, Lord, I need help to change my twisted thinking patterns. Every one of us have some patterns at times that we can fall into that become twisted, that need to be uh, turned from, if you will, and aligned with God. The word for change in Scripture, when we read it, is the word repentance. I'll play on that word here some today. But the word repent in its simplest definition, the Greek word is metanoia, and it literally means to change the way you think about something or to change the way you perceive reality. Man, we need to repent. We need to change. We need to see things the way God sees things. It means that if I'm truly repenting and changing according to God, I'm going to have a transformed outlook on life. Uh, your vision of the world will start to change. Your vision of yourself will start to change. You'll start to walk in and lean into having a fresh look and a fresh view of how to love God and how to love others. If you're like me, I want 2023 to count. And if you're like me, I want today to count. And if we're going to really make this year count and make this day count, uh, we've been called by the Lord to follow him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we've been called to advance the kingdom of God. So for us, every day, Ian, every day, repentance, change, transformation should be part of the rhythms and the disciplines that we're involved in. When you look at Luke chapter 3, when you look at Luke chapter 3, it offers us three things, if you will, in those first 20 verses that we need to think accurately about. Three things. The first is this. We need to see accurately God's power. When you look at verses 1 and 2, it talks about the power structure of that day. And you read these different names, if you will, in the first two verses. Tiberius, he was the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate, he was the Roman governor of Judea. 
Jerusalem was so jacked up and so messed up that it was governed by Rome of that day. When Luke is writing this, he's the only Gentile writer, if you will, of uh, the New Testament, of the Gospels, and he's writing showing that Jesus is the Son of Man, Jesus is the Son of God, but he emphasizes right out of the gate the power structure that was taking place in that day. And it was absolutely perverted. It was twisted. Uh, Then you look at King Herod. He had three sons, but King Herod is the one that was trying to kill all the babies when Jesus was born. And he was wiping out so many. And there was weeping, and there was all this just mourning taking place. He had three sons, Herod, Philip, and Lysanias. And they are all rulers in the northern kingdom of Israel where Jesus is from. We read those names in the first two verses. And then Luke also mentions two religious leaders that were the high priest of that time. There were Annas and Caiaphas, and he he emphasizes, if you will, how corrupt power was in that day, how corrupt leadership was in that day. Kind of sounds familiar even to where we live now, but corruption in leadership is not a new narrative. And when you go back and study uh, even Luke laying out the fact that John the Baptist is about to come on the scene and he's about to start proclaiming and Jesus is about to come on the scene. He lays out, man, look at the power structure of that day and look at how twisted, perverted, and corrupt it was. Even these two high priests he mentioned that were supposed to be representing God, Annas and Caiaphas, they were more concerned with power and just political notoriety then they were honoring God and serving God and taking care of people. It is a list of powerful men that had lofty positions that were corrupt, power-hungry, and totally jacked up. But don't miss this when you study. Don't miss this. This is so crucial. The word of God came to a guy by the name of John the Baptist. It came to and through him in the wilderness. God did not come to the movers and the shakers, to the elite and the elect. God comes out into the wilderness on the fringe of society. That's where God was doing his work. One of the things I wrote down as I was pondering this, be careful who you equate is having God's power. Be careful who you equate, who you elevate, who you listen to, who you follow is having God's power. Man's power is so limited, but God's power has unlimited potential. And when you see God's power start to rest on a person, God's power creates hope. God's power starts to develop confidence deep down inside of our souls. God's power, it provides assurance and comfort with with who we are. God's power will cause us to start to dismiss and destroy excuses that we're making. God's power is our strength. It's it's our refuge. It's, It's what we lean into. And there's so many people today, so many people today that appear, that appear, to know God, that appear to walk with God, that appear to be in the anointing of God, but they're missing the hand of God and the power of God on their lives. God's power is way different. And when you study scripture, God's power will always rest on those that delight in him. You want to find a person that has the uh, the anointing and power of God on their life? 
I can tell you a person who delights in the Lord, who spends time with the Lord, who is consecrated unto the Lord. Man loves titles, but God cares about our testimony. Pharaoh had a title, but Moses had a testimony. Herod, he had a title, but John the Baptist had a testimony. And we must stop and ask ourselves the question, what is my testimony? You can have titles, you can have lofty positions, but what is your testimony? What do you delight in? What do you find your refuge in? The people closest to you, if they had to define really who you are and what you're about, what would they say? John the Baptist was filled with God's power. When you look at verses 3 and 4, it says that John the Baptist went out into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Luke even captures this. As it is written in the book of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Luke captures writings that came some 700 years before through the prophet Isaiah. 700 years before it had been prophesied by God that a voice is calling, clear the way of the Lord. This is what it says in Isaiah 40. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Then the glory of of the Lord will be revealed. All flesh will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God promised Josh some 700 years before that I'm going to raise up a prophet, and he's going to be in the wilderness. He's going to be on the fringe of society. And when you look at the power structure of that day, you're not going to find my anointing, and you're not going to find my power there. You're going to find it out in the wilderness. This long-haired, hippie-looking dude is going to be so in tune with me. And when you find him, Listen to him, because after this, I'm sending forth the Messiah. And when the Messiah comes, he's going to offer hope, and he's going to offer healing so that all flesh everywhere can experience healing and hope in their lives. The Messiah is coming. He's going to bring hope and healing, power and salvation and deliverance to all people, black, white, Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans, male, female, those that live righteous, those that are just strung out on drugs and everything else. He's coming for all flesh. When I read that prophetic word in Isaiah, I get so fired up this week thinking, God, you promised and you prophesied that you were coming for a ragamuffin like me. Oh, thank you for coming for a person like me. God's power levels the playing field so that all men can repent. Aren't you glad to know that? So Luke says, let me tell you, uh, there's going to be one out in the wilderness. He's going to be a voice crying out unto the Lord. Make straight the way of the Lord. Messiah is coming. Look at verses 7 and 8. John the Baptist is preaching. He says, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, 
you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not say to yourself, we have Abraham as our trump card, and that's our lineage. He's our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise up from these stones. All this limestone existed out there in the wilderness where John was preaching. God is able to raise up even from these stones that will be children of Abraham. Don't miss this. Israel needed to change. Israel needed to repent. Israel needed to change their thinking about who God was. Israel needed repentance that could lead to revival. When John the Baptist comes on the scene, he looks at the people and he says, you brood of vipers. I guarantee you, if you go to southeastern down in Lakeland, Florida, or Moody up in Chicago, or Liberty up in Lynchburg, Virginia, there is not one preaching class that would encourage our up-and-coming little preachers to start a message by saying, when you go out there, just call them a bunch of brood of vipers. The word brood of viper, it literally meant you are snakes that look like sticks. You have this innocent appearance that you, you're just a stick. But when people reach down to pick you up, you are poisonous. You are venomous. And he's talking to the whole of them. And he goes, you're wicked. You're evil. You're deceitful. You're a hypocrite. It's time for you to get right. Who warned you to try to escape the wrath of God, you snakes? That's his first ever sermon. This is John's. If he was in a preaching class, it would be now. Chad, let's sit down and evaluate how John started his message. No, John, you start with stories and you warm people up and... You spend some time kind of easing into it, John. He didn't have time to play. Who warned you to try and escape? This dude comes out of the gate as a strong proclaimer of truth. He's pointing people toward repentance. He's pointing people toward God. He comes out of the gate and says, it's time to get right. Change the way you live right out of the gate. Change your source of allegiance and authority. Stop posing. Stop pretending. Stop playing the games. Get right. Can I tell you something? Stop, stop, stop. There's people in this room, and there's people watching online that need to hear that message right now. Stop posing. Stop pretending. Stop playing games. God will take you out. It is time to get right with God. John looks at them and says, if you're serious for even coming out into the wilderness to hear me preach and proclaim, if you are serious about repentance, you will bear fruit that shows it. You won't just talk about it. You'll live it. You'll breathe it. You'll show it. It will leak out of who you are. 
If you're serious about repenting and really turning to God, there will be fruit in your life. You will start to live out that you are the people that God wants you to be. You are the person that God wants you to be. You, you won't just have Christ in a category that you access occasionally. You will be serious about it. And I believe this. A person who truly repents and says, I'm turning from sin and I'm turning from Christ, there should be obvious indicators in our life of what we're leaving. That dude right there, when he got saved, all that hell raising and partying and drinking, that's my narrative. There were obvious indicators in my life of when I came to faith in Christ. It was like, dude, all this hell raising and partying and staying out all night, you're not doing that anymore. And there should be obvious indicators in your life of who you now belong to. I got saved in October of 1985. I'll never forget when I went back to play baseball in 1986, the minor league director for the Houston Astros. At that time, he called, he called me into the office. He goes, I need to talk to you. I said, sure. He goes, what happened to you? I mean, you're throwing harder. You went from a suspect to a prospect. Uh, what happened to you? I said, honestly, I met Jesus. That, that, that's what happened to me. Everything changed. My, I repented. My view of the world changed. My view of self changed. My view of other people changed. My view of st stewarding my, my body and everything, it, cha it changed. Because there was a new sheriff in town who had taken over the heart of Tim Cash. Bear fruit, worthy of repentance. Let me say this. There are things that we're doing right now that need to be eliminated. There are some things going on right now when you look at your own life, you go, that, that needs to be eliminated. There are certain habits that we've allowed to slip into our life that need to be radically changed right now. I, I got to deal with that. There's some attitudes that we've allowed to take root in our heart that cannot continue. God goes, it's not glorifying me. There's changes that we need to make so that Christ can be fully alive. So when John the Baptist was preaching, Caitlin, and he was saying, repent and let there be obvious manifested fruit in your life that shows that you've repented and plugged into Christ. We can't keep doing what we've been doing and expect God's power in our lives. We can't keep doing what we've been doing, living in sin, and expect God's anointing in our family. We can't keep doing what we've been doing the church at large, and expect to see revival. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and if they'll seek my face, seek my face, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and bring healing to their land 
if my, if my people, if my people will repent, if my people, Richard, will surrender, if my people will press in, if my people will make the necessary preparation, that, that then I will bring healing. The challenge for me and you is this. We must rely on Jesus Christ as our ultimate authority above everything else. You got fruit in your life. Our confidence cannot be in man or even in earthly wealth. It has to be in Christ alone. The Bible and the word of God and the teachings of Scripture must become the source that drives and governs everything that we do. We cannot a la carte, cut and paste, and make the Scripture say what we want to. We have to go in and go, God, you call the shots. I'm repenting. I'm yielding. I'm surrendering. When we start to really plug in because of repentance and lean into the Lord, the manifestation in our life will be Galatians 5, which is the fruit of the Spirit. And all of a sudden, people will start to see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Fruit is the result of what occupies the heart, and the heart must get right. God, I got to get my heart right. I attend church occasionally. I attend church when it's convenient. I go through the motions. I'm not leading my family. I'm not shepherding my family. You got to repent. There's things in my life where the Lord's like, you got to repent of that attitude right there. It's like, what do you need to do today in order to get your heart right with God? John the Baptist was in the wilderness saying, I want to see you people get right with God. I want you connected to God. I want you to know God. I want you to worship God. Repent. Repent of that attitude. Repent of that alcoholism. Repent of that porn. Repent. You're, you're robbing God. You don't give. Repent. What is the area of your life? God's power. God's power. The second thing we see is man's power being exposed, if you will, in verses 10 through 14. The crowds, all these people, the masses that come out to hear this message that John the Baptist, this wild-eyed, long-haired, hippie-looking dude is proclaiming, we want to go hear what this dude's talking about, modern-day prophet. The crowds ask him, what then shall we do? What, what, what shall we do? Jesus answered, whoever has two tunics, shirts, garments, is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food, likewise, share your food. Tax collectors also came to be baptized by Jesus. And they said, teacher, what shall we do? He said, collect no more money than you're authorized to do. Don't be gouging people. Soldiers also asked him, and what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation. Don't miss this. Three times it appears. What shall we do? What shall we do? 
what shall we do? The question implies that repentance leads to change. If I say that I'm going to leave this way of living and I'm coming to Christ, there's got to be change. What do I implement? And John addresses three groups of people here. The first one you see is the crowd. And he looks at them and he says, if you've got stuff, share your stuff. Don't hoard your stuff. Help out your brothers. Help out your sisters. People that really do have a need, if you got stuff, help them out. The second group are the tax collectors. Oh, they were so despised and hated in that day, but they were the financial agents of that empire, if you will. They were not popular. Listen to what he says. Why don't you be honest and don't collect more than you should? And then you see the soldiers. They were more than just warriors. They were the modern-day police force of that time. They walked the streets and were supposed to be keeping peace. And he looks at them and he says, don't extort the people. Be satisfied with your wage. Every response that he gives is dealing with possessions and money. Every response that he gives is dealing with what occupies the core of so many, and it's greed. I know your heart. I know your greed. I know your arrogance. I know you hoard. You got clothes and food? Share it. Okay. Hey, don't take more money than you ought to take. Be honest. Don't bribe other people. I'll let you offer this and won't write you a citation. Slide me 20. Don't, don't, don't do that. What is, what is he saying, Cindy? He's saying, do you not realize that when you live a life of generosity and not greed, there's so much freedom? Do you realize that when you go through life like this, you're free? But when you go through life like this, just having to hold on to your stuff, and somebody else, when you die, is going to get it anyway. What is he saying? He's saying, do not misuse and abuse what power you've been given. Don't misuse and abuse whatever power you have. When you have advantage over someone else, you have power. And what he's saying is, instead of leveraging your advantage to serve yourself and to take care of yourself, why don't you leverage what advantage you have to take care and bless other people? Don't take advantage of other people's disadvantages. That's what I wrote out. Leverage whatever advantage you have for the good of your neighbor and for the glory of God. That's the kingdom agenda. Serve, love, give. You know, a few weeks back, it was interesting around here. Not just here at the church, but we went into Christmas and all of a sudden, man, this Arctic cold blitz, we, we suffered from it, right? And two of my brothers that were in the first service, they're both plumbers. But I was talking to my one brother, Craig, and he goes, man, he said, you know what broke my heart? He said, I had people tell me that plumbers were showing up and doing 30 minutes of work. Josh, you're in that He's like, man, they charged these people $2,000, and they were there for 30 minutes. And Jeff and Craig were telling me, man, Jeff Gwynn, he was like, 
Christmas Eve, I didn't get home till about 9 o'clock that night. I, I was out there with this lady. She was around 80 years old. Her pipes had bursted. Water's all over the place. He goes, man, he said, me and my boys, we was like, we hugged her. Hey, we, we're going to help you out. We're going to take care of you. He said, I called Josh. Josh, I, I'm going to need your help on this one. He said, we prayed with her, loved on her. Josh got there. Josh loved on her, prayed with her. What we're supposed to do. You, you've got this job and you've got this kind of skill set and you've got this that you can bring to the dance. And just because there's hell damage doesn't mean, roofer, that you go in and jack your prices 20 times what it should be. Don't take advantage of other people's disadvantages. And what he's telling these people here is you want to truly repent? You want to have fruit in your life that shows that you're honoring God? Leverage what you've got for the good of your neighbor and for the glory of God. These people were so like blown away with John the Baptist that many looked at him and said, you must be the Messiah. And you know what he said? No. I'm here to serve the Messiah. Everything about me has got to decrease. Eventually, I'm not just going to decrease. I'm going to decease and die out so that his ministry can increase. Guys, listen. The anointed one is coming. He, he's the Messiah. His name is Jesus. Follow him. And, 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 and when he comes, he, he's the one that's truly going to clean house. He's, he's going to clean everything up when he comes. Here's my third observation. You see God's power being manifested. You see man's power being exposed. Here's the challenge. Stay with me on this one. Have the conviction to speak God's truth. When we read in verses 18 through 20 here in Luke chapter 3, the scripture says that John, the Baptist, also publicly rebuked Herod, the big dog, the man in charge. John rebuked Herod publicly because Herod had hooked up with this chick by the name of Herodias that was his brother's, Philip's wife. And John calls him out. It's not lawful for you to be with her. You're, you're living in sin. What you're doing in this lifestyle of infidelity, it's wrong before God. You're misusing your power. That's wrong. And you know what Herod did? He threw him in prison. And you know what will happen? John the Baptist, a few chapters later, will be decapitated and killed. And John, John, why'd you do that? Because it was right. Because the kingdom of God is countercultural to the kingdom of this world. And, and truth needs to be shared in places of 
oppression, in places of power, in places of abuse. Somebody's got to stand up and be a voice piece for God. So, John, but it, they, they killed you for doing that. I, I, I know. They tried to get rid of your voice for doing that. I, I know. I, I, I know. Here's my close. The easy, safe thing to do is to just keep our faith to ourselves. I've had people over the years tell me, well, I've got a personal relationship with Jesus. And what they mean by that is it's a private relationship with Jesus. I've got a personal relationship with Jesus. But the personal relationship implies that it's going to be lived out 24-7, 365, no matter where you're at. The challenge is to move from this easy, safe place of just keeping it to yourself. Because when we see people being hurt and people being oppressed and people unjustly treated, we do not have the freedom to do nothing. When we see oppression and abuse and hurt around us, we, we don't have freedom as followers of Christ to do nothing. Who's going to be a voice for the aborted? Who's going to be a voice for the abused? Who's going to be a voice for the hurting? Who's going to be a voice? And God may be wanting to raise you up today to be a voice in one of those dark places to take the light of Christ. And I can promise you, if you say yes to the call and you step into it, you will be the minority. You will be the minority. But we do not have permission, Dean, to sit on the sidelines and do nothing. You don't have permission. Say, I'm not going to get in the game. John the Baptist said, hey, if y'all going to learn anything from my life, I will tell you this. Glorify God, but stand up. Speak up. And whatever wilderness that God allows you to be in, be a voice piece for his glory.